1: everybody, Doc Bryan here with Doc Talks, where we talk about trials, tribulations, and triumphs, and just life in general, uh, and our mental health capacities, abilities, and how we've overcome things. Today, I have with me Maddie Smith. and uh, Welcome to Doc Talks, Maddie. I'm excited to have you here with us today. We were supposed to have your boyfriend, but we kicked him out because yeah. we wanted to focus on him, right? And, and all of his issues. Yeah, and right. I felt,
0: if he's here, I can't complain safely. So, <laughs> so, mostly, I just want him to do the dishes. Right, so. <laughs> right. So,
1: this is a safe place. So, yeah. you can, you can, he's not going to listen to this anyway, right? He doesn't so, care. He's yeah. also
0: very normal, and we don't have a lot of issues, so. Right. Well,
1: you know, normal is a relative term. <laughs> it really when is. It, when it comes to. Compared
0: to my past relationships, I'll <laughs> say. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, good. That's It's good to have some normalcy. It than, is. Than in life. Uh, and it's reassuring and, and makes you really feel like, hey, maybe I could spend the rest of my life with somebody. Uh, it's
0: a weird feeling. It to is. To be like, oh, shit, sustainability? It, what is going on here?
1: It's liberating, but at the same time, scary. It's
0: really scary. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, on one hand, you're like, when's it going to be bad? Mm-hmm. And then on the other, you're like, wait, maybe I should be with someone crazier because that's who I am. <laughs> and you're like, am I settling for boring?
1: Right. When Never he- settle. Never right. settle. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a client one time. I said, you know, you should never settle for someone that you feel like isn't equal to you or, or better. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, then I will never find anybody. Wow. And I was like, keep that energy, but let's take it down a notch Confidence or two Confidence makes people lonely. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, Maddie, uh, from what I understand, if I remember correctly, you grew up on the East Coast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so. hmm What part of the East Coast?
0: I was born in Buffalo originally Okay, uh, back in 1991, (laughs) and um, my dad worked in freight transportation, so we moved like every four years. I don't think it had to do with freight transportation. I think it had to do with my mom wanting him to get a higher salary. Mm. So we moved like four times growing up, ended back in Buffalo, outside of Buffalo for middle and high school. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
1: So do you have any siblings, only child? Yeah,
0: I have an older sister. She's four years older. Her okay. name's Emily. Okay. She lives in Rochester, New York, and she's a nurse. All right. Shout out to Emily. Shout out to Emily. Who she's Who won't super listen cool. to this podcast. You probably. never know. Sometimes <laughs> randomly my mom or my sister will be like, wow, they'll like quote something I said uh-huh, on a podcast, uh-huh. and I'm like, what's that from? Right. <laughs> I'm like, can you get out of there? That's not for you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So uh, growing, what was life like growing up, moving every couple of years?
0: At the time, I thought it was chill. I mean, because I always was like, oh, I got very involved in like looking at new houses with the family and they were like, oh, this town has, you can walk to the ice cream place. And you're like, blah, wow, I'm so excited. But looking back, I always left when I had strong friend groups developed, and so it was always a very transitional time in my life. I never felt very settled, and lo- and looking back, I always was like, oh, I think I would have been a lot happier if we had stayed in western Massachusetts instead of uprooting again during adolescence. Right. And So at the time, I was able to make do with it, and I think it made me what my personality is, which is people-pleasing, mm. funny gal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Go with the flow.
1: Right, right. So you said that you enjoyed kind of looking at the houses and and looking around the neighborhood. Do you feel like looking back, do you feel like it was your parents trying to sell you on the thought of this is going to be good and this transition is going to be great?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yes. They would like they would we there was like a town outside of Buffalo called East Aurora and we all four of us went to look at the houses together and and then we would recap all the houses and be like oh let's go with that one that one has a huge blah 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 and and so it was like more of like a four person house hunters right. on HGTV <laughs> then whereas I don't think that's normal right but I also don't know people who have moved as much as I did
1: true true so but here's what I don't understand about. HGTV house Hunters, like you will have these people and the wife will be like, I sharpen crayons for a living. And the husband will be like, I raise guinea pigs mm-hmm. for a living. Always. And our budget is $5 million. It doesn't. And, and
0: they're like, we're not uh, willing to move above or below that. Right. And then they have an insane request. Like the guy's like, I need, I need, there was one episode where the, the husband was like, I need a turret. I want my house to look like a castle. <laughs> <laughs> and every house he was like, it doesn't have what I'm looking for. Right, <laughs> I'm right. like, it's otherwise a perfect house for you and your six kids. Right.
1: Or even like, love it or list it. You yes. know, one of them is is dead set that we're not moving. The right. other one, you know, it's a lot of drama within that. Uh, do you remember growing up where there was that kind of drama where one member of the family wanted something that mm-hmm. another didn't?
0: Um, I think my mom just wanted more money. That's really <laughs> what it comes down to. I mean, like, looking back... So my mom's all of her she has four siblings mm-hmm. and all of them ended up like in super wealthy statuses in New Jersey. All of them live there. Okay. Multiple houses, multiple beach houses and we have a theory that my mom always felt and she was the youngest too and Moved to Buffalo from Long Island, never looked back, was a deadhead in college. So she has sort of like this hippie vibe. Mm -hmm. But then when it came to coming into her adult self, she didn't have what the other siblings had. So I think it ended up her pressuring my dad to make more money, even though that's not who she actually was. Right. So I think that is where the wanting something that no one else was requiring in the household to have.
1: So kind of along the the cliché of keeping up with the Joneses. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Um, Everything had to be the next best thing. Yeah. Okay. So as far as your mom, what kind of work did she do?
0: She worked in, like, healthcare administration, and both of them were pretty much full-time by the time I was, like, three years old, maybe two or three. So there's a lot of daycare, a lot of babysitting, My sister was four years older. By the time she was eleven, and I was seven, we were staying home alone. Um, So there was a lot of like hands-off vibes. So she worked in healthcare admin. He worked in freight transportation, and it was pretty much a pretty work-based household from a young age.
1: Gotcha. So there were. Did you ever feel like you were the parent to your younger sibling?
0: My sister's older. I'm
1: sorry. So it's just the
0: two of us. No, that's okay. So. She, I think she definitely felt like the parent. Right, right. But I was also pretty mean growing up to her.
1: Okay, so saying that, you have to tell me the meanest thing that you recall doing to her.
0: Oh, a lot of physical stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of slapping Mm -hmm. for no reason. I was very rageful as a child.
1: Just walk up and slap
0: her for no reason? Yeah, pick fights, being Mm -hmm. like, stop staring at me. Mm. In my early 20s, I had a lot of guilt about how mean I was as a child. Mm-hmm. But then as I got older, I was like, oh, maybe it was a result of my parents being a little too hands-off. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've been, like, battling. Because I was, like, I was pretty mean in the house to my sister and to my family. I mean, everyone was, like, pretty much under my thumb.
1: Hmm. Okay. So uh, backing up a little bit to middle school. hmm uh, tell me about that whole experience of how kind of things just went downhill there.
0: Totally downhill. It sucks. When I think about middle school and high school, I cringe because mm. of how bad it was. Because we we lived in Western Massachusetts, middle class town where my parents were still together. Oh, foreshadowing. And that was just a
1: teaser. There. Yeah,
0: that's a for the Patreon, <laughs> <laughs> or as you say, Patreon. <laughs> um, but then we moved to this town called Clarence Okay. In, when I was in sixth grade. And leading up to sixth grade, I was a tomboy. I played sports. I loved myself. I, I watched Nickelodeon. I went to school. I had all these friends. Great group of gal pals. And then when we moved to Clarence, it was like this insane wealth that I had never seen before. People with, like, big fucking houses. The coach of the Buffalo Sabres lived in in the town, and his kids all had Range Rovers and brand-new cars. And I was like, it was like literally the girl from Mean Girls, if mm-hmm. you ever saw Mean Girls, mm-hmm. that that level of wealth. Early 2000s, like, everyone looked like the Kardashians. And that was when my my interest in, like, having what everyone else had started growing. Whereas before I was very like, yay, (laughs) we have we have the same amount as everyone else in the town because the town is normal and middle class. And then we moved to this insane town called Clarence. And I remember the first inkling of being humbled in Clarence was I loved playing soccer. And this girl on my street said, you have to join my team and the ma and she took us to a practice and all the girls were so good and they had all the best Adidas clothes and all the best cleats. And then the mom took me home and she told, she told my mom, Maddie has to join the league. She's so good. It's eight hundred dollars a season. And then I saw my mom's face be like Like, tune out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, we're fucked. Like, it's done. And then she closed the door, and she was like, it's not happening. Right. And that was, like, the beginning of everything I know, everything I knew shattering. Mm -hmm. I never knew what it was like to not have access to things that you wanted, to not have different tiers Mm -hmm. of things. And that went from soccer to music lessons to cars to swim team. Everything cost more, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have access to pretty much my life outlook shifted because if you asked me in when I was 12 what's your life look like I'd be like oh I, I'm gonna go to college on a soccer scholarship and I'm gonna crush it and I'm gonna and I had all these hopes and dreams and then if you asked me at age 13 I would have been like yeah I don't fucking know maybe I'll work in human resources because <laughs> this whole school and this whole town has took me down a notch.
1: Right so it was kind of then that you realized that your childhood wasn't really normal Mm -hmm. because while you were doing being able to for lack of a better word keep up with everybody else Mm -hmm. when you moved to this town the the cost was so absorbent that you came to the realization that you weren't going to be able to keep up yeah um so at 12 which is a really young age to have you know your dreams so rude yeah
0: in my opinion right (laughs)
1: Um, do you recall how you felt? Like, yeah. What emotion came out during that time?
0: Oh, my gosh. Because you
1: were already mean, so... I
0: was already mean, <laughs> first of all. And then... I remember begging my mom, I was like, "For cover my birthday, cover my Christmas, just get me into this league. And it was shut down, shut down, shut down. I was like, and you can't go, to, you can't work when you're 12 to pay it off. What am gonna lemonade stand babysitting? <laughs> it's not going to pay it off. So I remember feeling the more, even more rage coming out. By then, I think it turned more inner, more self-hate. I don't think there was as much outer because... My sister was by then looking at colleges, so the focus was more on her. To pick fights at home would be useless because she's too old for that at that point. And she was also working and out of the house. And then we only lived in Clarence for a year before my parents separated. And then everything went from outward rage to more in- interior. I think is what happened. So it went from me being like you suck, you're you're dumb, I hate you to like you suck me, Maddie, mm. because you don't have what these other kids in town have. And I was beginning to see like, oh, well, Alexa Krabs is on the Premier League and look at her. She's going to go. And I'm in sixth grade. I'm being like, well, she's obviously going to be a professional soccer player because look at her big fucking house that smells like vanilla on mm. the inside. <laughs> so it went from all this like those kids are way better than me to I'm literal trash. Right. A lot of self-comparison, a lot of like staying up late, trying to put outfits together to make them look good make all the girls think like, oh, I have the Abercrombie clothes when Mm -hmm. they're Old Navy, you know, which sounds so like even privileged to say it out loud. But when you're a sixth grader and you see other people with things that is the norm for them, you're like, wow, I'm disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, see, I I grew up in a very poor family. Mm -hmm. I would say a a welfare type. Mm -hmm. poor. And uh, every year for Christmas, the ministerial alliance there would give us sweatpants and a sweat sweater. And then when it got to summertime, my mom cut off, you know, made it sweater shorts. Oh my gosh. And then a sweater shirt. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and I remember like third, fourth grade, I, I came to the realization that this wasn't normal. Yeah. When somebody said to me, why do you always wear sweatpants? Right. Do you not have a pair of blue jeans? And I was like, am I supposed to? Right. You know, and so I think there there comes a time and in various ways in our childhood that we face reality all of a sudden. And we, that innocence, yeah, uh, it, it fleets from us. Uh, totally. and, and at that age, it's even more awkward because we can't fix it. You know, we can't make it right. better. And so with that kind of premise of not fitting in financially, being able to, go and and be equivalent feeling towards towards your peers. I can only imagine that that affected your dating life, yeah, in high school or middle school,
0: yes, totally. My first boyfriend, his name was Eric Funk. Mm-hmm. He was six foot five. That doesn't matter. But that's the only way to describe him, mm-hmm. otherwise very unmemorable, right. I think my parents separating when I was in 7th grade totally I was like what the fuck cuz they didn't outwardly fight mm-hmm. it was all in it was all secret there it was a tense household but it wasn't there was never any fighting so when they separated I was like what the fuck you ruined my world and well
1: there wasn't any fighting cuz I was worried you would just go slap them
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they
1: just kind of put it, they, yeah, they said, like, we can't let Maddie see right, any of this because totally. she will put a stop to She'll it. She'll
0: destroy it. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Totally. So then, and then the whole I'm not enough. I'm, and then puberty where your body is changing and you feel disgusting and you have acne. By the time I was in ninth grade, I met this guy through soccer. It was a typical, like, early adolescence relationship where there was no chemistry. Mm-hmm. But someone was like, she likes you. Oh, cool. I like her, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but I attached so much to this relationship because someone liked me. Um, my parents were just divorced, so I got attached attach on to someone. I don't fit in this town, and this guy has a loving two parents and three brothers. Very, like... Christmas card family, mm-hmm. golden retriever, four boys, all of them over six feet tall. White
1: picket fence, white pick, that. Totally,
0: the dad coaches soccer, mm-hmm. all the kids were good at soccer, and I was like, I think I wanted to be in this family, too. I think I was like, oh my gosh, she cooks meals every night? That's insane to me. And so at the same time, I wanted to be ingrained in this family, and I felt kind of like a peasant mm-hmm. compared to this guy, because I was then, by then living with my mom in literally like a one-bedroom house because after the separation, my dad moved to Buffalo and my mom and I moved into this house with like a gravel driveway and like overgrown lawn and a trampoline that was broken, (laughs) like typical (laughs) trash. And everything about it made me feel inferior to him and it just made me latch on to him even more. Right. right. So to him, I look insane because I call his house every night because I don't know any other way deal with someone who's showing affection for me and that pushed him away so much that by the time we were six months dating he like did not even talk to me and then we dated for like seven more months during which i literally lost my mind because he wouldn't text or call me and he which showed no affection for me and then we started like hooking up we did like everything but sex and then I attached even more to him mm-hmm. and to him it's like a 14 year old seeing tits for the first time right and so he extends it longer and to me I'm like why does he hate me and it just it boiled right. even more
1: and so do you think he kind of kept you around for lack of a better word like a charity case because he felt i think bad so for you but he didn't want to be with you, but he didn't want yes. to look like the guy that just put you out. I
0: honestly think so, because I was so into him. My life revolved around this guy who fucking hated me. Mm. He, sh- I cannot even describe how l- little affection he showed toward me. Right. And it was fun at first. At fun, we went to the movies and blah, blah, blah. But then there was a turning point where he totally lost interest in me. And I just like held on to it so hard because I had nothing else. And it was like, my first boyfriend, I got to make it work. Even though everyone, every night I was like, why does he hate me? Mm -hmm. And then I think I started like putting out sexually because I was like, oh, I got to trap him in. And then it makes you feel even sadder Mm -hmm. to the point where even now at age 28, I have weird things when it comes to like sex because I'm like, yeah, weird, weird stuff from this guy who hated me, who I let, you know, finger bang me just because... (laughs) So it's super weird.
1: So in that, you know, I, I just want to uh, annotate here that we live in such a hookup culture. Yeah. And while that gives us that rush in the moment, when it's all over, we are actually lower than when we began.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And, and so we, you know, it's a lot like, while you can be addicted to sex, we don't talk about that a whole lot. You know, we right. don't especially in in younger adolescents, young adult say, well, it's normal for them to experience and, you know, be hypersexual. But what what I have found is that those people that are constantly in this hypersexual state end up being more and more and more depressed, Mm -hmm. much even like an an addict of, of drugs or alcohol, that they need more In order to feel better, but it's just making them worse. So from what I'm hearing from you, you kind of experienced that Mm -hmm. that same way.
0: Definitely. I was like, well, he doesn't talk to me that much and he literally acts like he hates me. But you know what, if maybe if I give him a handjob, he'll like me. After the, after I initially, and sorry, this is too dirty, but after our first, like, sexual encounter, he was like, whoa where did that come from? And I was like, yes, got Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And then for him, I think it was, at first it was extending it out of charity, and then it was extending it out of, you know, sex shit.
1: Because he was receiving the sexual validation that he wanted. Now, as an adult, do you look back and think about how absurd all of that was?
0: Yeah, I'm like... Wow, I wish, I mean, fully, I just wish you enjoyed high school and liked yourself more Mm. and dumped this guy in December because why the fuck would anyone care if you dumped him and he's not nice to you? But when you have low self-esteem... Sure. You'll attach yourself to anyone. And your
1: parents just divorced, so you have that yeah. lack of continuity. Yeah. At home.
0: And he was like a soccer guy, and I was like, whoa, soccer. You and know. I was six five. six five. So
1: I'm going to go out <laughs> on a limb and say that Andrew, your current boyfriend, mm-hmm. probably isn't that no, tall. No,
0: he's um, I think he's five nine. He says five eleven, but yeah. I'm like, you're five nine. Yeah. It's great. I don't trust tall guys after that. <laughs> just they see something we don't. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we're a little higher up. <laughs> yeah. You know, we we have a more of a bird's eye view. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we kind of touched on that your parents uh, got divorced, but surrounding that divorce, you said it it wasn't really that they fought a lot, but when it we boil down to the brass tacks of it, what was the cause or the reason of the divorce?
0: Honestly, I should honestly get on the phone with my mom and be like, "What's going on? Like, what happened here?" Because my dad will be like, "She just distanced herself." And then, and then it was over and I could see it coming. he said like one, one time they visited her friend named Kate and, and she heard her, she, my dad heard my mom say to Kate, I just don't love him anymore. And that was maybe uh, a year before the divorce, like crazy stuff. But then my mom, Janine, also is a very grass is greener mentality. So she'll date a guy for five years, dump, fully be done with it and move on. So there was no couples therapy. So I think it was actually pretty rapid because mm-hmm. my mom will get a job for a year and then be like, I hate this job and go to it. Her resume is literally like 500 pages long. She's had 20 houses since you know, the, in the past like 15 years because she's always like, if I move to Buffalo, I'll be happier. No, you know what? I'm going to move to Rochester. I want to live on the lake <laughs> and never settles. So that's my theory is she figured out she was done with this. She looked around and was like, nah, I'm good. And then was like, I'm done here.
1: Right. So what I have found, and even in couples therapy, when they get to that point of of no return, yeah, that one of them, whether it be the husband or the wife, Checked out of the marriage way before we ever got here. Yeah. I have a client that they came to me for marriage counseling. And they'd been married for like 15 years. The husband had had 13 or 14 affairs in 15 years. One for every year. Yeah. um, And she was still with him, but she had (laughs) made him go take polygraphs.
0: Oh, my gosh. Like every
1: month to prove. And I was like, bruh. Bro. Yeah. Even if I wasn't cheating. Yeah. I, I why are you sticking around? Game why are you? Over. And he was yeah. like, I want, I want a divorce, but she's crazy. And like, I'm afraid of what. And I was like, so you teach your kids that it's okay. Right. right. You know, and it's acceptable. You're teaching your daughter that it's okay for her husband to right. cheat on her. And you're right. teaching your son that it's okay to have extramarital affairs. And, and so, you know, sometimes, Parents get to the point of where they want a divorce and then they say, Well, we're gonna stick it out until the kids turn eighteen. And but the kids pick up on that. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kids pick up on the tension within the home and you're not doing the children any service. Right. I I have another client who she was one of those kids that parents divorced the day she turned eighteen. Wow. And it was and they told her we were waiting. Right. And she said to me, do you know how much guilt I yes. have right. now that I know that my parents were miserable for right. years because of me? Totally. And so, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, it's better to be single and happy mm-hmm. than married and miserable. I agree. And so, you know, uh, when when you get into relationships, I think, though, uh, as we talk about love is blind, and it, and it really is that that we even know when we're dating yeah. that hey, this might not work. Totally. And when we see those red flags in relationships, we need to bring them to light yeah. instead of repressing them and saying, oh, well, I can change. I can change. Right. Him. Or can they change can change. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the coin sayings that I have is if you want to change a man, he better be wearing a diaper because that's the only thing you can change. <laughs> Boom. You know, so true. and 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 it's not just with men, but mm-hmm. it's with women yeah. too. So if you enter into a relationship with a thought of I'm going to change them, even if it's something reasonable like they're an addict right. and I'm going to help them, no, right. you're not going to. They have to make that decision yep. on their own. Yeah. So moving forward now uh from from your formative years of of. High school and medical, m- m- not medical. medical school. Medical school. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's the doctor comedian here. Uh, Ken, is it Ken Lee who was a medical doctor? Oh, Ken Jeong. Ken Jeong. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's um, funny, hilarious. But you know, a lot of people don't believe that he was actually a medical doctor and left his practice. Why
0: would you to pursue yeah. a
1: career? Yeah, and like that is stupid. Yeah, but it's not. Because we should pursue what really makes us happy. I agree. And our, our dreams and our aspirations. I feel
0: like the pandemic makes people believe that even more. I've oh, had yeah. a lot of people quit their nine-to-fives to do, like, more gig-based work so they can be more creative. Absolutely. They're like, fuck it. I'm done with this shit. Right, Yeah. Right.
1: And, and I think the pandemic, too, has also made us realize that there are a lot of things in our life that we don't need.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And, you know, it, it's kind of like you appreciate your friends but now that you can't really see them, or you're not supposed to right. see them, <laughs> that that you appreciate them yeah. more. You know, uh, loneliness really does make the heart grow fonder. Yeah. You had said in this that you kind of fell out of love with yeah. him. And I would propose to you that it's impossible to fall out of love. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that okay. in, in the in- second part of this. Yeah. Uh of Doc Talks DX. So you definitely want to stay, stay listening to this and, and switch over to the next podcast. But I find it interesting here. Uh, I'm sure our viewers or not viewers, because they're not, they're not looking at us. Uh, <laughs> so I have a face for radio. So, you know, I'm, I'm right where I need to be. The The listeners don't know, but I kind of have a questionnaire here. And and I find it very interesting that you said here, you had another boyfriend and sophomore, uh, sophomore in junior year of high school who was really rich and mm-hmm. who is now gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so are you one of those girls that turns men to their feminine side? Because I've had women oh. come to me and go, mm-hmm. every man I've ever dated became gay. And I'm oh like, you ruined him. You oh, know, my it's, gosh. It's your fault.
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think this was just a guy who, yeah, I mean, he wasn't ever... We dated, in, and, and I met him uh, right after the tall guy and I broke up, and him and I, like, hit it off right away. We, we talked a lot. We riffed a lot. We made fun of each other a lot, and I was like, whoa. Did you
1: slap him, too?
0: I didn't slap him. Well, no slapping there. By then... I had such low self-esteem that there was no energy for slapping, mm-hmm. you know. But I was like, this is like, I was like, wow, this is relationship material. We vibed so much. We talked all the time. He was really smart. Both his parents were doctors. He loved fashion. Mm-hmm. He loved raw denim. He loved fashion blogs. He was on a fashion blog all the time. But I took it more as, oh, he's metro, right, you know what right. I mean? But when we started doing, like, sex shit, which was, like, maybe a year into our relationship, I was very hesitant, and I think I had baggage from that original relationship. Sure. And then once we started doing sex stuff, my brain started being, like, panicking about the relationship because I was like, "Ah, it's just like before, it's it's getting sour like it did with this other guy. And then I think I self-sabotaged that relationship and kind of, like turned crazy and then by the time that happened he was applying for colleges and I think he started checking out as well cuz so he was mm-hmm. a year older.
1: So let's talk about you applying for colleges. Yeah. From what I understand you really weren't given an opportunity Yeah. to apply for the college that you wanted to go to.
0: Again, shut down in my dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, you like they move me to Clarence. They they I get bad at soccer because I'm not on the Olympic development team. I get bad at the instruments cuz everyone in Clarence started 2 years before me. Everyone is better than me at everything. The pool is higher. I'm not the lead in any plays because everyone there has Broadway parents. So then when I Start applying for colleges I'm like Why don't I get the fuck out of here And I start looking at like UCLA and, And like UMass And like all sorts of different campuses And my dad sat me down In the living room one day And he was like He doesn't even live there He came in from his apartment To our house to be like why don't you uh, cut that college application list down and uh, why don't we look at some SUNY schools? Why don't we do UB, Geneseo, and I'll take you around the schools Mm -hmm. there. I was like, it was like a stab. I was like, how dare you? Because when you're applying for colleges, you're like, I'm going to get it. And I think I saw my rich boyfriend who was a year older. He was applying to Wesleyan, Vassar, you know, all these crazy, crazy schools. And again, there's that inferior feeling of like, I'm going to be just like him and I'm going to go to the private schools and I'm going to go to camp and academic camp and be like him. And then they were like, no, you're going to apply to SUNY Buffalo Mm. and stick with that.
1: Yeah. So was there ever a point in time there with your parents that you kind of felt it would have been appropriate to revolt and do apply for UCLA?
0: I think I was, like, so depressed by that point that I was like, sure, whatever. And you know what was crazy about it? They didn't even pay for any of the college. So whether—I mean, I'm glad I don't have $200,000 of debt, but at the same time, it's like, you don't help out. When I got accepted to Geneseo, which was where I went to college, which was supposed to be one of the better SUNY schools, my mom immediately was like, how are you going to pay for that? I was like, okay, if you're not going to pay, then why didn't I— Why didn't you tell me that in seventh grade when I started to spiral into depression and get bad grades? Why couldn't someone say, we're not helping you, so work hard in school? There was never any motivation. You guys didn't guide me at all. And now I have not great grades, and I have to go to a SUNY school, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to spend the next four years blacking out because (laughs) I have so much resentment about this. Resentment, but also zen. But it was just like they didn't help me, and yet they— And I think it was because my sister was also depressed, in high school because we move so much, and she's literally like a genius, like Mensa genius. And so she was applying to, like, Brown and, like, all these other schools, and they didn't help her at all either. And so by the time she went to school, she got a full ride to UB or whatever. But because of her experience, they were like, we're going we're gonna to take you down a notch too.
1: So you did, though, go to college. Yeah. And uh, majored in...
0: Economics.
1: Why in the world would anybody... I don't know.
0: I can't even SUNY Geneseo was like liberal arts. And so I spent the first year doing the core curriculum. And then I tried to be a math major. And I got like a 2.6 GPA because those classes are for otherworldly people. And then I tried to do like geography. And I was like, how will this give me a job? And then by second semester, sophomore year, I was like, econ, that sounds good on a resume. But my first year of college I literally got like 2.6 GPA because I tried to make myself a math major. And I also had no one telling me that I was supposed to get really good grades. I had no idea because even the last two years of high school, when you know I was always naturally good at class, so I always got A's for just being there. But then when it came to really hard classes, I didn't realize you were supposed to go home and study. I didn't realize you were supposed to have interests. I didn't realize right. any of these things. So by the time one year of college was done, $10,000 down the drain, and I had a 2.6 GPA. So the last three years, I had to spend rebranding myself and getting that shit back up to a a measly 3.4 because that's as high as it could go. Yeah. But you didn't,
1: you didn't carry any soccer into your collegiate time.
0: No, I didn't carry any soccer. All I came in with was knowing I kind of wanted to be on the newspaper. So I started doing newspaper stuff in freshman year of college, but sophomore, junior and senior year of college. I spent recovering from freshman year of college and all of high school where I let myself slip.
1: And how did you spend that recovering? Healthy or in an unhealthy way?
0: Unhealthy physically, but I got like all dean's lists. I was the editor of my school newspaper. So I went from like hating myself to also hating myself, but we're going to work this off with like this insane work ethic while drinking all the time. So it went from a slump to like, nope, we're going to recover. I don't even like economics. I don't like writing for the newspaper, but we're going to go really hard because that's all we know now.
1: So did you finish a college mm-hmm. degree? Yep. Okay. So now you have like a $40,000 piece of paper. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 40, uh, yeah. You know, one thing that I, I've, I've talked about on other podcasts and, and I just, you know, want to reiterate, it is not necessary for everybody to go to college.
0: I wish I... And again, being living in Clarence where all the guidance counselors open the book and they say, where are we going to go? Rather than what do you like? Mm -hmm. What are your goals? But for a 17 year old who was raised in this in this world where everyone has an SAT tutor and everyone's trying to go to the schools, you're like, yeah, I guess I'll do that, too.
1: Right. And so what happens is now we have like Fortune 500 CEOs that are committing suicide. Right. Well, they have worked themselves out of a job yeah. because they don't like their job anymore, but they would have to downgrade and then they wouldn't have the lifestyle. Yeah. And then they're a disappointment of their family. Uh, and so they, they just don't see any way out. And so I, I think that it's imperative that, that we understand that college isn't for everybody. Yeah. Trade school isn't for everybody but whatever your passion is you need to go for your passion but also it's okay for your passion to be your side hustle yeah. until it can be your main hustle and and what i have found which this is my first time to new york i have friends that live here oh yeah um my, the best man in my wedding lives here in mm-hmm. new york which he hasn't called me back about taking me out to wow. lunch or anything yet Bitch. so <laughs> so but he is really busy i find though that with people who are in, for lack of a better word, entertainment, mm-hmm. there are two people. There are those people who go, who get it. I have to have a job in order to support myself, right. work 40 hours a week doing this, and then I'm going to spend another 40 hours a week focused on what I really want to do. Right. Then you have the other side of that that goes, if I have a 40-hour-a-week jo- job job, I'm not going to have the energy right. to invest. And then they end up not getting anything, right and having to leave the city yep and and not having an opportunity that they could have created for themselves right. because they were unwilling. You know, I've always said even with a doctorate degree, I'm not too good to work at McDonald's. Yeah, you know, I, I will do whatever it takes to support my family. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that people kind of get into this this ideology that, I can only do one thing well, right? So let me do one thing, and that is so untrue. If you look at any of the successful business people today, you will find they don't own one business; right. they own uh, collaborative businesses, and even businesses that are so completely apart. You know, I think when I think about business and success, I immediately think of Gary Vee. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and he has a, a wine liquor store. But then he has a marketing company, totally. and then he has a speaking—you uh, know—self-help, uh, how to get how to get successful, and that. And so we get so focused on what we want to do mm-hmm. that we hyper-focus on it, which then leads to failure. Yeah. And but it's not just in careers; we can do that in relationships. Right. Uh, we can do that in, in any type of thing. So I think it's it's important for us to note again. To any of our younger listeners, that there is no need to have a forty thousand dollar piece of paper hanging on your wall. That doesn't prove anything. I know. All it proves is that you went somewhere for four years and you completed a bunch of work mm-hmm. that may not have any relevance to anything that that you need today. Right. You know, I, I took algebra one and two, trigonometry, uh, calculus. When I got out of school, I didn't know how to file an income tax return. I, know.
0: I think about this or, all the time. Or
1: balance a yeah. checkbook, which, you know, nowadays that's kind of old school. Yeah. Uh, but I'm from Arkansas. We still write checks. Yeah. You know, oh, so, so cute. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we lose these practical <laughs> skills, which then makes us feel like we are not equipped. Yeah. And then with that feeling and then this failure of, you know, we... Kind of as children and even in adolescence, maybe not so much in, in with your story, but we're kind of hyped up in. You can be whatever you want to yeah. be. If you want to be the president, you could. And you know, used to I would be like, well, no, I couldn't be the president. But now anybody could be the president. Yeah. I mean, literally yeah, yeah, yeah. anybody <laughs> can be president. Uh, so it's one of those things where we've got to make sure that we focus logically. Yes. On and realistically on what we're doing. So once you get out of college, I read this sentence and I was like, "No, this cannot be right." Like, which once again, deep south, you know, uh, comfort food, everything that's bad for you. Yeah. Uh, but you started focusing on food justice. Yeah. Now tell me about that.
0: Yeah. So. Um... It was like 2012 when I was in college and the local food sort of stuff, Michael Pollan, all this stuff, became very trendy in the... This was, you know, when Obama was president and things like food justice were very like, ooh, that could be fun for me to tackle versus very... Not that that's not a real issue, but it was a very, uh, you know, trendy topic. So I decided to uh, go a little bit into, like, food access issues. And I did, like, my econ thesis on food policy that affects food access, you know, taxes on soda versus, you know, supply chain, stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to work in this, I guess. I mean I was passionate about it, but I wasn't like, this is my life but by then you're like, well, like, I gotta pick something. I gotta pick something. I'm I'm about to have a lot of debt. So I worked at this place called Food Link in Rochester, New York for a year after college and they're like a food bank. They serve ten regions, the cans, blah, blah, blah. But they also have this new department that actually buys, like, wholesale fruits and vegetables and sells them at very low costs to low-income people in Rochester. So I worked with them to help neighborhoods get fruits and vegetables because they don't have them at their stores. And that was actually a sick job. I was like, I'm helping people. I'm working in fruits and veg. Pretty cool for me. Um, There was a little emptiness of, like, is this it? You know, I hadn't been outside of upstate New York in 10 years. And... I always had this, like, secret thought of, like, I'm really funny. Should I do stand-up? There was, like, a stand-up scene in Rochester, but I was like, I'm not doing it here. These guys suck. So it was, like, kind of always in the back of my head. But while I was working at Food Link, I was always like, I could work here forever. I could do this. I could maybe get a master's in public health, and that's that. And then I got a job offer toward the end of my year at Food Link to move to Brooklyn and to do this, like, or start this like urban studies program with SUNY Geneseo. And it was like this new program that I would guide. And I was like, the minute they offered, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Which showed how uh, desperate. fair weather friend, I, <laughs> desperate and fair weather friend I was yeah. to this thing that I thought, it also made me have an existential crisis because I was like, wow, I just put all this time into food justice. And with that, I moved to, Brooklyn for this whole other thing. And so then I moved to Brooklyn where I lived in Red Hook, Brooklyn. If you don't know Red Hook, it's like in the middle of nowhere, a mile away from transportation. And the college I went to wanted to start a study away program there for students to live in an apartment in Red Hook during their summers. Long story short, the program never got off the ground because it was so unfeasible, but they let me live down there for two years rent-free while they kind of forgot I was down there.
1: So (laughs) is that kind of what set you on a platform to be able to get into comedy? Yeah,
0: pretty much. Uh I moved down there... Did, I literally did everything I could to get a program off the ground in Red Hook, but I'm 24 years old. Everyone in Red Hook was like, where's Geneseo? What are you talking about? What is this? And Geneseo was like, we don't know. And then the person who at, worked at Geneseo, who started the program, left Geneseo. So then I'm stuck here with this interim provost who was like, we'll take care of you in a while. And then a year goes by, they still talk to me. And by then, I'm a year into comedy. And I already started getting off the ground. So pretty much I figured out, oh, this job's not going to work out, but no one's supervising me, so I might as well start doing stand-up. I have no friends here. And then once I started doing stand-up, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Uh-huh. And that's when things started clicking. I was like, okay, I could do this creative field. It's free, no, no barrier to entry. I'll keep working here as long as they'll let me. And then once Geneseo was like, maybe maybe I shouldn't say the name, but I also don't give a fuck. Um, Once they were like, we're coming down to check on you, Mm -hmm. I got a new job. Mm. I was like, no, I used everything I could here. I refused to get in trouble for what you guys did to me. Right, right. And then I went to work at a finance firm full time, nine to five, and continued to do comedy at night for two years until I got a TV show. And... That's kind of a long story. Do you it?
1: do you mind telling us what TV show? So are?
0: yeah, it's on MTV. It's called Wild and Out. Okay. Um, I auditioned in New York City and got flown down to Atlanta to do like another week of auditions, and then went on the TV show.
1: So Nick Cannon is the yep. yeah. is the main guy there on that. Uh, yeah, that is kind of Wild and Out. I've I've seen a few episodes yeah. of that. Uh, and and it is definitely wild. But being that you were a slapper growing up, yeah. And being that there's this this um roasting yes. comedy, yeah. I, I would see how that kind of would fit your
0: totally. There's like a roasting scene in New York City. So I started mm-hmm. doing roast battles like mm-hmm. six months into stand-up right. and I got really good at them. Like right. my really mean insults. I did like fifty battles in the city. So by the time I auditioned for Wild and Out, it was mm-hmm. like perfect because it's a roasting show. I'm a white girl who's mean. And when I auditioned, I was like, I'm pretty sure I got that. Right, It was like everything finally came together, working 40-hour weeks, then going out and doing stand-up, being depressed because I don't sleep enough, because I feel like every day that I wake up, working a job in finance is another admittance of failure in my stand-up career. Right. And so by the time I got this show, everything felt like a huge release of like, I started doing stand-up even though I wasn't raised in a creative household, I wasn't raised to do things beyond a nine to five. And so by the time I got the TV show, it was like everything was lifted. Everything from high school, everything from college was like, I finally did it. I finally did something that was my choice and I made work for me.
1: Gotcha. So before we uh, move into Doc Talks DX mm-hmm. here, at the uh, expense of maybe being embarrassed without you making me cry or slapping me. I'll give you two abilities to roast me now okay. so, our, so our listeners can, uh, can hear how good you are.
0: Oh, wow. Pressure's on. The
1: pressure is on, but don't make me cry.
0: Okay. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, and that's
1: a great way to end this episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I usually have to, you know, sit down and write a little bit. Maybe I would say something about your accent.
1: I don't have an accent. You have an
0: accent. You have an accent. You have a southern drawl. Your accent sounds like it endorsed Trump in 2012. <laughs> something something along those lines. Maybe a psychologist in Arkansas. What are you, telling people they don't look fat? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm a little rusty, Oh.
1: but I it, swear I was good at one point. Oh, it, it, it's fine. Uh, the, the whole objective of comedy is to make somebody laugh. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't even have to be funny. Just to no, make somebody laugh. Totally. Uh, that's that's the whole objective. I agree. So uh, thank you so much for being on Doc Talks yes. uh, with us today. We are going to move. Uh, hopefully, you follow us into. And you said that I said it wrong. Pat- Patreon. 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 Yeah. Move into that. So follow us over there to that episode where we talk about uh, the depression uh, issues and anxiety, and we get into maybe some possible diagnoses here. Uh, as to what's going on with Maddie Smith. Mm-hmm. Knowing that she can roast me and she's mm-hmm. talked to me now for 45 minutes, it could be very interesting Yes, when we get into possible diagnosis. It's
0: true, but literally anything like a psychologist says to me, I'm like, I agree fully. <laughs> I Whatever you guys say.
1: Well, thanks for running the teaser. Oh. To-
0: <laughs> Fine. Maybe I'll battle a little bit. You can cut that part out. <laughs>
1: no problem. So tell our listeners here where they could find you.
0: Um, I'm at Smith on Instagram. Right now I'm doing a lot of outdoor shows in New York City, maybe indoor soon. But I post all the shows on Instagram, and I'm trying to... Uh, not be as active on the apps but you'll find me, my live show postings are there, okay. I hate social media <laughs>
1: Alright, uh, and of course I'm Doc Bryan. you can find me at thedocbrine.com uh, or follow us here at the Be Frank Network and uh, follow us now over to DocTalksDX, thank you so much Maddie once again for being with us here on this podcast and uh, we wish you all the success thank that you. you can stand. Thank you Thank you. Yeah. Alright, thank you, goodbye